There comes a time in everyone's life when they must listen to a podcast. And sometimes it's a special edition podcast. And sometimes it's a special edition podcast about Game of Thrones. Season 7, Episode 6, Beyond the Wall. That time is now. Real talk. Down home. I needed to do this song. Yeah, I'm a nerd. It's a big secret, but I'm a nerd. And I love these books. If you watch it on HBO and think you know what's going on, I appreciate that. The people who waited five years for dance, this one's for you. Check it. Hey guys, and welcome back to our special edition podcast for the Give Me Five podcast, where we are covering season seven of Game of Thrones. We're covering episode six today. Episode six is Beyond the Wall. So, fair warning, there are spoilers beyond the wall. Oh yeah, because it happened, baby. (laughs) I choose to pretend it didn't happen. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's going to happen. I'm not touching that one. (laughs) So, like always, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us at the Give Me Five Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at Give Me Five Pod. You can reach us on Twitter at Give Me Five Pod. Or you can find us on Facebook. Just search the Give Me Five Podcast. And remember, if you guys want to help us out, one of the best things that you can do is to give us a favorable review on iTunes. Hit us up, give us that five stars. Thanks in advance. You can rant angrily about Rob and his predictions. <laughs> Don't be bitter because I was right. <laughs> Rob is our resident Nostradamus. My wife is going to be the resident Aria slitting his throat while he sleeps. Quite possibly. Okay. Jimmy, take us into this episode. So let's get right into it. We um, begin where we left off from the previous episode. Uh, we rejoin our cast of... Uh, I guess, anti-heroes beyond the wall who are embarking on the best plan ever conceived. Our motley crew. <laughs> Our motley crew is out to uh, capture a White Walker, and they just happen to be comprised of you know, some of the most if, you know, fan-favorite characters. So, What could possibly go wrong? Wow, Terrible man. idea. <laughs> what a... It's almost like none of these characters have ever seen an episode of Game of Thrones before. Never. <laughs> Certainly not. But we, you know, we join our our motley crew as they are in search of a White Walker. And and, and I will say up front that they did take a couple of red shirts with them. Go ahead. They did certainly a couple of new to the the Night's Watch, um, you know, who have taken the vet, taken the black very maybe a couple of hours ago. Um, but we pick up with the crew. And there's a lot of banter kind of establishing the the brotherhood, a lot of potty language, um, kind of just strengthening the bond, a lot of kind of jabbing, you know. It really establishes to the viewer just how much we like these characters and why we like these characters, even though we've seen almost all of them do something horrible at some point in the show. That is correct. Yeah, yeah. they, they have really good banter between them, and that's one of the – and it, it really kind of draws you in and kind of makes you like them even more. So our – Main characters, aside from the redshirt freshmen who who join them, are Jon Snow, of course, Tormund, Jorah, Thoros, Gendry, the Hound, and Bernice Dondarrion. <laughs> Look, I've told you I type this on an iPad when I'm watching the episodes, and there's an autocorrect situation. Okay, so <laughs> Bernice Dondarrion, who is actually Beric Dondarrion's mother-in-law. <laughs> Join them on the invention or on the uh, excursion, okay? 
Right. Good old Bernice. Um, <laughs> as I guess kind of early in the conversation, we um, Gendry kind of complains to the Brotherhood how he wanted to join them, how he wanted to, to be one of the, the Brotherhood. Instead, they sacrificed him. They gave him up to a woman who stripped him naked and covered him in leeches. Sounds good so far. That's what they said. <laughs> that sounds like a party. <laughs> <laughs> so that woman turned out to be Melisandre. The reason for putting the leeches on Gendry was to um, extract his blood for Stannis Baratheon uh, to assassinate Renly Baratheon. Well, yeah, they needed noble blood for yes. I'm really not entirely sure we should get into how that assassination played out. It involved uh, the birthing of a demon shadow creature, a vagina demon. That's really what it was. Yeah. Um, and in this show, I gotta admit, with all the strange crap that has happened in this show, that was one of the odder moments. <laughs> that was. Yeah, I think so. You know, not that the the incest stuff isn't weird or anything, but um. There is, there's... That the demon wasn't a reoccurring character. <laughs> that would require a, a lot of pain on a certain character's part. Um, anyway, move on. Yeah, through so some of the banter, you know, we establish, uh, it really just kind of builds relationships. And it, it takes a little while for it to happen. There's a scene where John is speaking with Jorah Marmont, and John tries to give Longclaw to Jorah as... They haven't had much interaction previous to this, but John did have a lot of interaction with Jorah's father, and that sword was given to John by Jorah's father. So, mm-hmm. you know, John says, "Here, take it. You're you're the rightful owner of this sword. I've I've had the pommel fashioned into a wolf instead of a bear, which the bear represents Bear Island, which is where the uh, House Mormont." Is seated. Resides. Yeah. Resides. Uh, but you had another thing, Rob, kind of Nostradamus last week. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad that they went back and addressed that because, as you know, last the the last episode, I had a big problem with the fact that Jorah just kind of like ignored that it was there and nobody said anything about it. I was like, what? You mean he doesn't recognize this sword? I know he recognizes that sword, even if it's got a wolf on the pommel instead of the bear. Um, you know, I'm, I, I just didn't like that they, that they didn't, that they didn't say anything about it, but here we've got where John acknowledges, Hey, this is your sword. And he gives it to Jorah and Jorah kind of takes it for a second. And he's, and he's like, no, you know, my father gave it to you. And he kind of feels like he turned his back on his family. So he gives it back to John. So John gets to keep the sword. Yeah. Uh, Jorah feels like he brought shame to house Mormont. And while, you know, I know you were unhappy that they didn't address it the the last episode. It kind of makes sense now because I I, I feel like Jorah didn't want to address it. Um, he was ashamed, yeah. And and I like that they, but I like that they said something about it. Just you know, yeah. I I like that they addressed it at least. I was like, oh great, we've got Jon Snow. He's going to go unarmed into combat with the White Walkers. Well, it definitely organically built the rapport between them. It wasn't just random conversation. As they were wandering through the the winter wonderland outside the wall, it was definitely just it. It really uh, it was a conversation that reminded you of the past, brought the characters closer together, and made you like the characters more. So, so continuing, um, where are we? Do we? Uh, oh, okay. So now we are back in Winterfell, and Arya is talking to Sansa, and the conversation is getting heated, getting kind of unpleasant between the two of those. I really don't like where it's going with them. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, I'm still thinking there's going to be some sort of twist here. I'm thinking that all the conversation Arya has had about knowing that when people are lying, she should, unless she unless she herself is lying, she should be able to tell that, San, that Sansa is telling the truth about being forced. Um, there's a lot of hints that that might actually be the case. So she tells a cool story about how she watched people practicing bow and arrow for archery, and she snuck down and after they were gone and was practicing herself, and she kept on running back and getting this one arrow and shooting it and shooting it and shooting it, and finally got a bullseye or finally hit the target and heard clapping, and it was her father, uh, which is a really kind of cool story. But yeah, she, she got the applause, and she had to do it kind of in secret because, you know, it's not appropriate. Yeah, I totally just did air quotes, and nobody's here to watch that. It's not appropriate for girls to be practicing the arts of war, basically. And she found this bow and arrow that had been left out, and she's telling Sansa about this story, and she found the bow and arrow that had been left out, so she just spent a long time playing with it and just shooting this one arrow that was left with it. And she hit the target, and somebody applauded because they were watching silently behind her. And in, at the end of that conversation... Arya kind of turns to Sansa, and this is where we get the confrontation about the letter that she had found in Littlefinger's possession, who Littlefinger kind of set her up with. Um, I'm still hoping that Sansa knows Littlefinger's playing her, but I kind of get the feeling that she's being played, because Littlefinger's really good at this. And I hate it, because I really like Arya, but I think she's being played. Anyway, she confronts Sansa about the letter that she wrote to Rob Stark when he was still alive, about the the beheading of his father and how he should come to King's Landing and forgive them and bend the knee to her dear Joffrey. Dear Joffrey. Um, yeah, yeah. She and, you know, she tries to tell Arya that she was forced to write it, and Arya's not. Yeah, that... And gets gets pretty aggressive about it, too. Yeah, that, um, that dagger that she, you know, that card she keeps pulling with the dear Joffrey really is just kind of inexcusable, uh, unforgivable to Arya. So more on those two later. Um, we have an interesting conversation back beyond the wall between Tormund and the Hound. The Hound is the anti-Rob. He is the anti-Rob. <laughs> the Hound hates gingers. He kind of is. The Hound infer- lets all of us know that he hates gingers. And Rob stopped watching right there, so he's going to sign out and not talk about the rest of the episode. <laughs> Like, I can't do it. I have no idea what happened next. I was like, <laughs> what? Screw this. Tormund said, um, he said, hey, you know, we're, but we're touched by fire. And that's kind of a, kind of a, a jab at the Hound as he still has his issues with fire, obviously. Yeah, because he says, kind of like you. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like you. And that, that kind of irritated I read that a little less about the scarring from the fire and a little more from the looking into the fire at the time. Oh no. oh no! I I think it definitely meant oh, he was I'm, he was burned. But so, you know what he say? Did you fall into the fire? No, I was pushed. Um, and, and we you know we have some some funny conversation, of course, between those two. We're going to um, how Tormund kind of claims he's with Brienne of Tarth, the big woman. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have massive babies, <laughs> monsters that will conquer the world, and the hounds like. <laughs> Wait, you're with Brienne of Tarth? And Tormund says, well, not yet. <laughs> Which I just thought. But you know her? <laughs> yeah. But, duo, tell me more. Can you put in a good word for me? <laughs> yeah. Can I use you as a reference? Beat my ass and push me off a mountain. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's really funny conversation. Uh, 
until, you know, we get to kind of the serious conversation with Bernice Dondarrion um, discussing death and life and that he's fighting for life and uh, the enemy is death and he always wins. And he, he basically says that that um, death is the ever-present enemy and death always wins, but it's still important that we fight. We still have to fight. And and John kind of remembers back to his his um, induction into the Night's Watch, and remembers about being the shield that guard the realm that guards the realms of men. And Beric kind of is like, yeah, that's right. That's that's kind of how it, how what we are. We cut back to Dragonstone, where Danny and Tyrion are talking about Jon Snow deciding to be a hero, and Danny saying, look, I don't really want people I know to become heroes because they do stupid things and get themselves killed and says these ha she's happy that Tyrion isn't a hero, but does refer to him as brave. And it's kind of back to that wishy-washy thing where sometimes she's happy with Tyrion as a Lannister. And then a few seconds later, she's not happy. And there is some conversation about, you know, Cersei possibly setting a trap for Daenerys. I think this is also the part where Tyrion kind of tries to talk to Danny about the unnecessary burning down of the Tarleys. Yes. And and Cersei is having and Cersei is ha or Cersei and and Danny is having absolutely none of it. She's like, no, that was that was my choice. I gave them a choice. It had to be done. So she's still not hearing that. And th here's also possibly some foreshadowing where they talk about Danny's successor, and Danny refuses to talk about her successor until she's sitting on the throne because Tyrion is worried about. Like he mentions when she rode in on Drogon and Drogon blocked some arrows. He's like, but any one of them could have found your heart. And then where would we be? Yeah. We, we need to discuss the issue of your successor. And Danny just refuses. She won't. And she gets about mad it. about it. So she's back to the you sneaky Lannister. You're, you're trying to kill me kind of thing. And her her temper. Yeah. And that that could be a little bit of foreshadowing. I'm not sure. I guess but we'll see. We'll we'll see how that goes. And then we're back outside the wall. Our band of and heroes and it, holy crap, it's a zombie. <laughs> it is a zombie. It is. But how unsettling was that scene when I mean, I don't know if you guys have experienced a snowstorm like that where maybe you're driving and you cannot see and you know how dangerous the road is ahead of you. No, but I have experienced a zombie. Awesome. Yo, man. And and for those who are counting, this is where we lose our first red shirt ensign. Thank you, Star Trek. Rest in peace, red shirt number one. Rest in peace, extra number four hundred and fifty thousand. But there's this, this, yeah, you know, this, this zombie, this zombie polar bear comes out of the blinding snowstorm and proceeds to take down one of our red shirts, as we will now refer to them, and just really goes on to on the on the attack and. <clears throat> When just when we think the hound is is going to um, he's frozen again by fear as Beric Dondarrion hits the sword or hits the bear with his fire sword and the bear catches and on fire lights the bear up like a candle. Yep, uh, there we go. That the hound is just frozen with fear. Thoros jumps in and you know really gives the bear kind of kind of what's for, but is ultimately bitten by the bear before Jorah steps in with what I'm assuming are dragonglass daggers. That's kind of what I think they are, but they don't really address that, so not. I'm not 100% sure. 
but I, I, I think they I think they're all sporting some kind of dragon glass weapon. Did either of you guys see the CG breakdown of this particular scene? Did not. I did. They released it online. It's it's really cool. They show all the green screen and stuff like that, and these guys fighting with like a, a bear shaped basically nice. a bear shaped thing with like they stick the sword in its mouth and they actually show the different render passes, which is nerd stuff for me and Jimmy. But Ooh. it's really cool because you can see you can see how much the snow and the fog and the color adds to the scene from just this guy like wrestling and they even show like as the bear grabs the guy and like starts shaking him around they had this like poor extra stuntman tied by either arm by rope and there's two dudes just like pulling him back and forth and like shaking him maniacally and then they replaced those two guys with a angry polar bear or zombie polar bear so yeah during that battle we lose red shirt number two unfortunately rest in peace we will have an episode dedicated to him later we're gonna play candle in the wind it'll be lovely (laughs) <laughs> but yeah we we finally take down the the zombear we've got an injured thoros and it really doesn't look good for him he's bleeding pretty profusely bleeding bad and it looks yeah it looks like the only option is to cauterize that wound hey hound watch this <laughs> check this out man so bear thundarian takes his fire sword and he cauterizes thoros's wounds and you think maybe he's gonna be okay maybe but I guess we'll find yeah, out. I hope, because I've just started to remember his name. He's uh, very Rasputin-like to me. So after after all the excitement there, we flash back to Winterfell. We're we're starting to jump around a lot. They've only got one episode left, and it's it, we're just jumping around now. Um, but we've got we've got back to Winterfell, and Sansa and Littlefinger are talking about our guild just started a new raid, been- and that's what caused Rob's phone to go off. <laughs> Nice, I'll have to get on and do that later. Um, and Sansa and Littlefinger are talking, and Sansa's concerned about the letter that Arya has in her possession. That she got from Littlefinger, no less. And and she kind of she kind of hints that she's worried about what the what the nobles who are following John would do if they found out. And it becomes very obvious that Littlefinger is trying to drive a wedge between Sansa and Arya. And I'm concerned that he's succeeding. I hope he's not, because I want somebody to stab him, perhaps in the back, because that would be justice. I I just think that Littlefinger's story is almost done. I I really hope so. He's getting just to the point where you can't even justify his actions anymore. I mean, he's just so, just so weaselly. I I know we've used that word so many times, but I don't think there's a better way to describe him. I can't stand it anymore. Well, unless the endgame... For the whole show is him ending up on the Iron Throne. His story has oh, story has to be done soon. Oh my gosh, I would right in the streets. That. I mean, look, we got. I would burn all of my copies of this show. I mean, look, it, it, I don't think they can do that because they've had bad endings before, and you can say what you want about the Sopranos ending. A lot of people said it was bad. They're not going to have a payoff where one of the villains who has disappeared for long periods of time, who hasn't really done much of anything other than set things off and then slink back into the shadows. So I'm really thinking his story might be done this season. Just to guess. Perhaps. I know nothing beyond that. <laughs> well, back to more conversation, more kind of relationship building. Uh Jorah and Thoros kind of make up the caboose of our our trek after our, our zombie attack. And Thoros does not look very well. He's he's not not holding up. But Jorah Ask Thoros, he says, you know, how how drunk were you when you stormed the breach? 
And Thoris looks at him and he says, I, I, I don't remember storming the breach, which I thought was just a genuinely funny moment. And yeah. Jorah goes on to, to compliment Thoris and says, you know, my father saw you and he said that you were the bravest man he's ever seen. And, and, and Thoros tells him what? <laughs> he's like, you mean the drunkest? Cause that line actually made me laugh. I thought that was really cute. I, it, it was cute. I mean, it was, it was funny. It was genuinely funny. Um, so, so, I'm looking up the siege of Pike cause I've, I was wondering if that's something we had seen, but it is not. No, it, it was uh, nine years before. The War of the Five Kings. So we finally see our uh, our first shot of the White Walkers, and that's John and Tormund. They look down into a crag and see the the, the White Walkers marching single fire, single file. I wanted to say single fire because we cut to a shot where um, our our motley crew has set up a trap for the White Walkers. They've they've set up a fire in the middle of kind of this crag. And the White Walkers approach it, and they look very confused, um, as confused as the dead can be. And <laughs> our guys just jump out from the shadows and just charge, you know, these undead minions. And I just go, I just, I, at this point, I just put my head in my hands, and I just went, oh, I can't watch. What's going to go wrong here? Yeah, but they they do okay. John um, turns the, I guess, the night captain into a white walker slushy and my word we <laughs> it was <laughs> i still let him sorry but and and then we and then we receive convenient plot device number one yes that if you kill the one who turned the white walkers then those white walkers will also perish well that wasn't the convenient plot device the convenient plot device was they killed the white walker oh and there's and one all left. of the whites died and there's magically one left. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. No, no hold on. So yeah. apparently he – and they, they determined that if you kill a White Walker, all of the whites that they turned basically turned to dust. Except for, hey, there's this one so, left, so let's throw a bag over Yeah, well, so what they determined is this one was not one that he turned, and it's like, well, so – Now, is that a plot hole, know, or to... is it a trap set up by the White Walkers? I don't think it was I think a it's a com I think it's a convenient plot device because they did another one that was even worse later. I I think I think that was probably bad writing. And don't don't hate me for saying that, but I I that was think I know what you're talking. And we'll yeah. get to that. Um so our... I'm going to argue for it was a trap. Okay. Mm. You can have that. Okay. We'll get we'll get to that as well. We'll we'll move beyond that. So after our crew takes down this this one surviving white white walker um they throw a burlap sack over his head they tackle him the hound jumps on him and he lets out this uh, ear piercing ear piercing exactly scream. uh jinx you owe me a coat um and we hear kind of almost the same rumbling that we heard when the dothraki horde attacked the remaining the the lannister army there's just this rumbling in the background and you know something good is not out there. Yeah. Things are going to get bad quickly. Very quickly. So we have a, I, I would say, a very large portion of the White Walker army starts to descend on these few warriors who have, I guess, su succeeded in their mission. But now here's where the plan starts to go awry. John turns to Gendry and says, 
you need to run back to the wall and you need to run back to Eastwatch and tell the Maester, send a raven because you're the fastest one here. Now, I think that's true, but also Gendry being the last um, in the bloodline of Robert Baratheon, I think that also might have something to do with it. Tormund takes Gendry's hammer because it's only going to slow him down. And Gendry takes off into the snow to get help, conceivably. Yeah. And this is the first time in in this episode where I was like, I was like, wait a minute. How's the, the, the whole time lapse thing kind of, I started to question at this point. But, uh, it seems like it's it just, just seemed... a few hours. But, yeah. Even modest, and even the, the producer said it would probably be about five days. So, you really have to determine. There's a lot of things like, a lot of things, one, them freezing to death. To them starving five, to death. Nah, five days? Uh, that's what it would end up being. Like, there's a bunch of people out there that did, like, math on, like, the top speed of a raven, how long it would have taken to walk, how long it would have taken to run. Yeah. And and they would have they would have died from thirst long before that. And the the lake, which they're trapped, they end up trapped on an island. Yeah, they end up trapped. So the undead army descends on the the band of warriors and as they descend on them and they're, you know, our crew is kind of back to back in, in battle formation. One of, and many follow the dead, they step on thin ice and the ice breaks in a circle around our motley crew, uh, trapping them on a frozen Island essentially. And that halts the undead army for a little while, only for a little, only for a little while. Um, Gendry does get to the gate where he, he collapses, you know, maybe a hundred feet or so in front of the gate where members of the Night's Watch, they run out and grab him and they say, you know, send a raven, let them know what's happening. We cut back to, um, our heroes as they're, uh, stuck on this island. Freezing and starving. And Jorah looks out over the army of the dead and says, you know, we're all going to freeze to death soon. The number of, uh unnamed soldiers that were them maybe they just ate them maybe oh that's a good point awesome we did talk about cannibalism in our last full episode so or the one previous to that um we talked about cannibalism a lot so yeah we have um so you know unfortunately um while when everyone wakes up um that's left of our group there is one person that does not wake up and thoros has not survived the night he is and that made me really sad. Very blue. Very yes, blue. I, I did blue. kind Not of like sad. Thoros. His watch is over. Thoros is gone. The Hound says, well, I hear it's a good way to go. And I guess that's a much better way to go than being eaten alive by the undead. But still. Yeah. The only problem is, is now they need to do something because he could very quickly become one of the dead. He could. So they burn the body. They burn poor Thoros. They, uh, Beric Dundarian gives a pretty touching send off and the hound, here we go with the fire again, can't bring himself to look. So, you know, the, the conversation and I guess what's, what was on everyone's mind is, well, your priest is dead. You're, you're on your last life, buddy, to Beric Dundarian. Which is where they, which is where they kind of, they kind of re, readdress the whole, well, if you kill the White Walker, all the creatures it turns die too. So... Let's go kill the Night King. <laughs> yeah, because that sounds like a fantastic plan. Yeah. Granted, that's exactly what they need to do. However, the whole, 
I'm just gonna charge out there and kill him. That's that's how that's gonna work. I'm just gonna run yeah, through this mosh pit. Of the undead. Yeah, the lake is completely surrounded by the undead. Most of it, the yes. ice is broken but freezing again, and they're kind of off in the distance. Anyway, let us go back to King's. Uh, well, not really King's Landing. Let us go back to Winterfell. Winterfell. Where a letter from King's so Landing comfortable arrived. There. Way more comfortable <laughs> than a, in a frozen island in the middle of a lake. Mm -hmm. um, so Sansa gets an invite to King's Landing to speak to Cersei, and it's almost as if she's back to terrible decision-making, Sansa. Um, but, you know, where Brienne's like, look, you can't go. And Sansa's like, well, should Brienne go? And she's like, well, I'm supposed to be guarding you. And they send her off, which, again... So... If if you leave her alone, Sansa can make some pretty good level-headed decisions. But when she's pushed, she just uh, she she caves under the pressure. She goes completely dumb and makes the worst, the exact opposite decisions that she should. It's like, what are you doing? No, it's wrong. So after that's decided, the, um, we're back to Dragonstone, and they've received the Raven. They've got the Raven. <clears throat> Danny is all set to charge with her dragons to rescue Jon Snow and the voice of reason steps in Tyrion and says you know basically don't do anything you know it, it was a bad plan to start with Danny says it was your plan we can't risk you you yeah. need to stay As, and she basically tells him to saw it off yep go kick rocks but holy crap the armor That's some badass armor yeah she, she did have a really nice winter outfit on looks good on her it was very cool. So she packs up. So she jumps on uh, Drogon, packs up all her dragons, and heads out. Which I thought was a terrible idea even before, because you got to leave at least one dragon behind just for defense of their part of the kingdom. If you were going to march on Dragonstone, there being no dragons, there would be a fantastic time to do it. Yeah. Well, granted, they're, they're quite a ways away. She could probably save and be back before they could mobilize any kind of ar any kind of action against her. Because remember, she's already taken out the force that's kind of wandering around the Seven Kingdoms. The only force that they have left is it um, is actually at King's Landing. So they would have to marshal up and march out. So she, she would... Sh taking all three isn't that big of a risk, but unless something were to happen to to said dragon but you know taking the three isn't she she's not really at risk of of them marshalling a force and getting there before she gets back yeah um so we cut back to danny's destination and the the hound is getting edgy they're getting edgy they're getting frustrated they they don't quite know what to do uh john says that danny is their only hope at this point and that hopefully there's a raven on the way so they just need to wait it out and the hound, he's a damn good arm, like you said, has a great arm. Yes. Picks up a rock, chucks it at the front line of the undead army, and in a, uh, it made me laugh out loud. Uh, the rock hits one of the undead in the face and knocks his jaw off and onto the ground. And the hound, I hate being the one to say this word, but don't worry, I'll bleep it out. <laughs> good. The hound says, dumb cunt. Not going to bleep and it he... out. <laughs> <laughs> he proceeds to pick up. And then over-estimates uh, over, uh, over his arm when he picks up a bigger rock. Picks up a bigger rock the size of a football and decides to, to throw a Hail Mary. Um, again, I, I'm not sure what he was trying to accomplish, but this rock instead hits and cracks the ice. And the dumb cunt looks down and goes... Oh, we can walk here now. So 
that one undead soldier starts to march forward as others follow. And it really just does not look good for these guys on this, this little ice island. Yeah, it's a it's a slow it's a slow march that turns into a gradual flood and things are not going to go well. And we see I think our third and last redshirt ensign go down at this point and also Tormund gets swept underneath as they're as they're falling back on top of this on top of this rock in the middle of this frozen lake. Um Tormund is Tormund is swarmed and he's going down, and I'm like, no, don't kill him. He's funny. I like him. Yeah, it was a very but, upsetting scene. It was a very tense scene, and my notes get very sparse here because I was, like, on the edge of my seat well, trying Tormund, to figure out who was getting dragged under, who was stabbing who, who was getting overrun. You, you see this genuine look of fear and panic in Tormund's eyes, and I think that's the first time you see it from him. He's screaming, help me, help me. And it goes, oh, you know. There we go, another fan favorite. You know, I was all, already preparing myself for, for Tormund to be pulled under the ice, but who saves the man that was kissed by fire? The Hound. Who was kissed by fire himself. Yeah. <laughs> so the Hound, I, I'm air quoting, saves Tormund uh, <laughs> because he just kind of pulls Tormund from certain death into the the jaws of awaiting death. Yeah, the small circle. And we... we, we... We climb up on top of this rock, and John reaches the back and looks over the ledge. It's probably about what, like eight feet from the surface of the water at this point. As they climb, it's kind of like a escalating cliff, and then there's like a drop off. But he gets to the edge of the drop off and looks down, and it's just a sea of walkers, and they're starting to climb on top of each other to get up the. Yeah, we um, we lose another red shirt in the process. <clears throat> who this time? This one very quickly turns into a white walker. And he's looking back up at John. He's, um, well, dead and very angry. And it <laughs> here we have John uh, again brooding uh, off of a cliff, but this time a very small cliff, very small icy cliff. Before he, he turns around, he bumps into Tormund, acknowledges that he's there, goes back to swinging his sword around. And we have a, another one of those moments, you know, like just before in the Battle of the Bastards, just before John is saved by the the Knights of the Vale, it it doesn't look good. And then somebody want to say what happens next? Here comes the cavalry. Do, 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 do. The cavalry, has and arrived. we get and we get some more gratuitous dragon action. <laughs> I was just about to say that. So the dragons fly in. They torch all of the White Walkers or the the Whites. They melt the lake again. So and and we see what I was what I was talking about. Uh, I think a week or so ago, where I where I don't know what you're if talking you've about. got if you've got three things that can kill White Walkers, you've got Dragon Glass, you've got Valerian Steel, and you've got Fire, and you've got three dragons that can breathe uh, fire from the air where they can't be hit. It's gonna be a route. The White Walkers are no threat. Absolutely no threat, because with three dragons, you just smoke them all. It's ridiculous. And they show how overwhelming these three dragons are, because, I mean, they annihilate thousands of these of these uh, undead troops yeah. in the matter of seconds. They're, the dragons are flying over, laying waste. You know, the uh, Drogon lands, and he's kind of saving the, the band that's left, and um, everyone jumps onto Drogon's back, except for... 
uh, berserker Jon Snow, who decides that he's just going to continue to cut through the forces of the dead. Now, was this was this before or after? Because I've, I I want to say that this was after the big the big whoopsie, and it drove him crazy, or kind of crazy, and he started making his way toward, or trying to make his way towards the Night King. It may have been after. Um, so the big whoopsie that, you know, um, I'll just let Rob go ahead and describe what happened well, here. what we see is, is the writers actually realized that, hey, we've got to kind of cut into their into their advantage a little bit. And one of the White Walkers brings the Night King an ice spear. And he launches the ice spear up into the air and hits a direct shot in Viserion's chest. Yeah. And Viserion, one of Danny's dragons, goes down in a ball of flames, hits the ice, and falls through into the lake. So now we are down a dragon. And I think that's where Jon Snow goes almost crazy. Danny is Danny is just beside herself. Frantic. She yeah. she yeah, she she can't believe that she has lost one of her children. And John looks at Danny and then looks back at the Night King and I think he starts to make his way through the through the crowd at that point. At which point he uh he kind of gets swarmed under and he can't get back to the uh to the dragon and he sees the Night King get another spear. Yes. So he screams back uh to those on the back go, of Dragon and says, go, go. get out of here to which Danny hesitates at first, but eventually in like kind of like what was it like an epic takeoff, uh Drogon starts to run, kind of falters a little bit, flies out of there, you know, narrowly misses the um the javelin from the from the yeah. representative for the uh Beyond the Wall Olympic team. And the gold medalist. And the gold medalist, uh placing him first, going for a second gold medal. Um they get out of there. Jon Snow gets overwhelmed and pulled down into freezing cold water. And Danny sees Jon go under. And she seems a little broken up about that. A little bit, yeah. A little, little, little bit. A little bit. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But Jon goes under, and the last you see of Jon is he's sinking down with these two dead attached to him. Yep. And you think... Oh man, here we go again. But John gets back out onto the ice. He he climbs back on out of the ice, and he is basically John Snow popsicle at this point. <laughs> and he he stumbles out. Yeah, John the, Snow cone. Uh, hey. Oh, well done, can you, sir. Can you add a rim <laughs> shot there for yourself? Um, so John stumbles out. He's he's frozen and he he can barely move. You know he, and you think where's this going to go? Where's this going to go? Um, he turns to face the army because they notice him climbing out of this this hole in the ground, and he turns to face him. He kind of limply kind of puts his sword he in the direction. He can't even. Yeah, he can't even lift his sword at this. And then somebody from the. Yeah, it's like a horse comes riding by with a swinging ball of fire and knocking people out of the way. Convenient plot device number two. Number two. I don't Uncle have a Benjamin. With that one because I didn't either. He has always been in the shadows because he literally has nothing else to do. He's stuck out. He's stuck I, outside of the wall by himself. 
And I'm like, what? My my whole thing is, is what the hell has he been doing this whole time? He's just been kind of sitting there watching this whole thing go down and not doing nothing. And at this point, he just kind of rides in out of nowhere. The White Walkers didn't even know he was there. And he just kind of rides. I was like, come on. What? <laughs> that seems a little too convenient that he shows up right now at this very moment. I'm like, no, no, stop. But he does. But and he and now we don't have to worry about it anymore yeah he he shows up he's badass he's swinging his little um you know fireball he's hitting all the white walkers in the head he stops like john snow do at church with the incense that's what i was thinking but i don't know the name of it um but he stops at john hops off his horse and says you know ride for the pass or or you know get out of here and john says well come with me and if you guys remember back to the past, Benjamin Stark, Benjamin Stark is is his progression to a White Walker was halted about halfway through. So the wall's magic prevents him from crossing the wall. So he can't go with John. So he basically says, "Ah, you know, you owe me one." Lady. Turns to face the undead army, gets taken down. You know, sacrifices himself for, for John, and John rides back to. Uh, this is not the first time that Benjen has come in and saved the day. Um, he did come in and, and save Bran and Mira earlier on, and in doing so, he said something about the three-eyed raven. Told me that I needed to come here. So it's entirely possible that that same thing could happen again, especially considering that Bran is now the three-eyed raven. So there is some precedence there. Yes. Okay. So after John is rescued by Benjen, he rides off on his horse. And we flash to Eastwatch, where we see Daenerys standing on top of the wall, just looking out over the forest. And she's she seems really distraught. And one of her advisors, I think it might be Jorah, comes up and says, Your Highness, we have to go. We need to get back. You know, we've been gone too long. And she's like, yeah, I guess we do need to go. But I don't want... And you kind of get the feeling that she doesn't want to go. She's waiting for something. And, and she's and she's kind of waiting for to see if John is going to come riding out of the forest. And at that point, you kind of... I kind of got the feeling that she's a little bit more broken up about losing John than she is about the dragon. Now, she's completely distraught about the dragon, but I, I'm getting a little bit more from her in the way of uh, feelings for Jon Snow at this point. So we'll we'll see what happens there. But Jon Snow comes out. She's completely relieved, and they go down to grab him, and we flash to winter. Where we find Sansa snooping around Arya's bedroom looking for something. Uh, perhaps the note, and she looks underneath Arya's bed and finds a suitcase full of... Uh, nicely folded masks. Nicely folded masks. Faces. Faces. Faces! Yes. And she, at that point, is really confused, doesn't know what's going on. Arya walks in behind her, gives this speech, essentially saying that, you know, I I can be you. I, I've always wondered what it's like to wear those pretty dresses. I can be you at any time. Flashes the dagger given to her by Bran via Littlefinger and hands it to Sansa. The dagger has switched hands again. I just think Bran hmm. knows too much, and he knows who he needed to give it to and who it needed to go to and what the path was going to take. But again, this this whole scene makes me question the whole the whole Arya story. Makes me question the 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 possibility that she's playing Littlefinger and Sansa, and she's playing the role that she thinks Littlefinger thinks that she's supposed to play, because she she's doing this, and I'm like, she she has no idea that he's playing. I I mean, I just get that feeling, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? 
But maybe Arya's putting the dagger in the hand of Sansa to kill Littlefinger with. I guess I hope we'll you're see. Right. So, you know, we right. we cut back to um uh Jon Snow is on a ship and Danny is vigilant at his side and sees Jon Snow shirtless and sees <laughs> his wounds. Um and that in my mind kind of confirms that, you know, Danny sees that yes, Jon actually did take a dagger to the heart kind of confirms her suspicions and the real story of what happened. When John wakes up, he apologizes for everything. He wishes he could take it all back. You know, the whole foiled plan. And um, although they were successful in extracting a white wall. Yes. And this, this was the part where I actually misheard one of the lines and I was like, Oh, I can't believe she said that. Oh my gosh. Cause as we're watching this scene, John calls her Danny and she says, you know, the last person that called me, that was my brother. I don't know how I feel about that. To which I say, the last person that called her Danny was me and you. Yeah. That's right. But she doesn't know. We'll just can. But John says, well, how about my queen? And she kind of stops for a second and she looks at him. And he makes a joke about, you know, I'd bend the knee, but, you know, I'm kind of laid up and I can't really move all that well. And she says, well, what about your, your subjects? And, you know, to which he says, they'll come to see you as I have, basically. And and at that point, Danny says something that I misheard, because what Danny says is, I hope I deserve it. And John says, and I don't remember what John says, but when Danny said that, what I thought she said was, I don't need another servant. And I was like, oh, she's going to ask him to be her king. Uh-huh. Uh. And I got all excited about that, and then I watched the line again, and I was like, "Oh, I like my line better." <laughs> yeah, so you know, Danny and John come to this resolution. They hold hands, and that's kind, kind of, of kind of long. Yeah, kind of the the end of our scene, and you you think the episode's over, but you see uh, change chains stretching out. And those chains yep, are you do those chains are being held back at the lake and pulled back at back at beyond the wall. Uh, those chains are being held and pulled by White Walkers under the command of the Night King. And on the and they're pulling something out of the lake. Yeah, on the other end of those chains are Viserion. Viserion. They have just dredged up the dead dragon from the bottom of the lake. I got two words for you zombie dragon unfortunate and i've got two words for rob f you <laughs> so in, in our in our show notes greg writes rob was right i hate rob <laughs> admittedly i write that at the end of every show note well this is true but very more very much more yeah. appropriate now so we will end it right there no guys look forward to our wait, no, not yet what? not yet i need to plead my case so here is why I think it was all a trap. There's a few things that, one, they needed one white, which you guys talked about, and there was at least one that they could take. Two, Gendry was able to escape and run back, which pretty much allowed everyone down south to know that they needed to send some dragons up north post-haste. And the um, also the fact that they had the, the spears, which were basically there to kill dragons, and they had brought chains along with them. So I think that the whole thing was a setup. And since they've st and there's a couple other things that led me to believe that this stuff was going to happen. Um, as soon as I saw the zombie polar bear, I was like, okay, these are the this is the writers and directors and showrunners reminding you that animals can also be turned. 
like we've seen the horses but like as soon as i saw that i'm like oh crap the dragons the dragons are screwed like that's the first thing i thought because we've seen the white walkers on horses so we do know that animals can be turned but we've seen them on the horses so much that it's almost like it's a uh kind of an extension of the white walker more than something on its own so that was one of the reasons i was like crap but i they've also done a lot of talking about time travel involving bran and the what and the white king and bran having some sort of connection and you know where one of them is cut off each the other one's sight where one of them is able to see through the other one's eyes all that kind of stuff and there's a really big part of me that thinks that that connection if they're not the same person then it did somehow allow them to know what was going on and allow the white king to be like look i gotta get these dragons or else i'm never gonna get past the wall so that's why i don't think it was poor writing i think it was actually really good writing okay I'll give you that, but I'm not giving up on the Benjamin one because I think that was total crap. Okay, I'll 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 give you the not giving me the Benjamin one. <laughs> but I can't wait for next week, and I'm so bummed that we only have one episode left this season. Yeah, and then we'll have to wait a year for the next. All right, guys. So that ends our recap of episode six of season seven. Thank you guys for spending some time with us. We will next week. In lieu of doing our regular episode, we will dive deeper into the season finale of Season 7 for Game of Thrones. So hopefully you guys will join us through that. Hopefully you guys catch up on it. And hopefully it's a good episode. So thanks again for joining us, guys. Do check us out on social media. Greg, take it away. Yeah, remember if you want to help us out, all you got to do, go on iTunes, go on whatever podcast provider you are listening to us on, and give us a review. Remember, I hate Rob. It can happen to your fam or you all alone. We go big, we go home, we play this game of thrones. Okay, so that's where the music is. Okay. <laughs> Rob just like robot stroked out. Yeah, I know. It's like <laughs> powered down. <clears throat> Bernice Dundarian. Wonder if he knows he's been kicked. He might still be talking. <laughs> oh, there he is. Hello. There you Welcome are. Back. What the hell just happened? You like you robot stroked out. You were just like I know. It, it said I was kicked from the podcast. You were. I was like you motherfuckers would totally be like that WWE Royal Rumble where the guy, the first guy in slides out under the ring and then hides under the ring for the whole Royal Rumble and then comes back in at the last second to throw the, the remaining guy over the top rope and win. And it's like, what? Who was that? It's garbage. I think, it's, I think it's happened a couple of times. Wow, we're talking about something real. Game of Thrones, not I, WWE. I, I,